0: The following audio is from North's Ferry Community Church. More information about North's Ferry Community Church is available at northsferrychurch.org. Thank you. Be seated. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to those in the annex. We hadn't forgot about you all in the annex. Uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving and Christmas time, what comes to mind in your own mind? What do you think of? What are some things that come to mind when you think of Thanksgiving? Black Friday. Good job, Charlie. I like it. Monopoly. Monopoly, game time. That's right. Family time. What else? Come on, say food. All right. All those were good. That's the one I was looking for. All right, so what comes to mind for me is one of the greatest inventions ever made, and that is those little things I've seen on infomercials that will go around the button of your pants and expand your pants. I think that is a fabulous invention. If anybody has one, I want to see it and see if it really works because I'm tempted to order one every Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving, gathered around the table, eating, having a great time. Uh, Also, family time, uh, sitting around the table with family. But perhaps it doesn't quite go as you might see in the Hallmark movies that is on 24-7 these days. Uh, It just doesn't always go as uh, beautiful Um, not every guy at Thanksgiving, uh, rides a horse, loves his wife perfectly and surprises her with roses and has a beard and a full head of hair like that guy that they always cast on those Harmart movies. Not that I'm jealous, but I'm just saying, but you know, sometimes gathered around the table as you're thinking about holidays, um, there's unforgiveness. There's relationships that are always messy. People are messy. So relationships are always messy. So as you sit around the table, you, you have some angst between individuals in the family. Uh, you know, there's lots of, lots of history that's gone on, people that you, if you were honest, uh, wish that weren't there because they're ruining your Thanksgiving because you have uh, uh, unforgiveness towards them, hurt and pain, um, and, and that 's really what we 're thinking today, or perhaps you you yourself act in an ugly manner like I did yesterday. I 'm publicly confessing my sin, um, and i 've already been forgiven, so she doesn 't have to hear this because I already asked her forgiveness. But you know it was the end of a week. I was exhausted, I was tired. And didn't really realize the full extent of it until at the end of the day, I'm in the attic in a precarious position holding a very heavy piece of furniture I'm trying to put. And she's giving me advice, and I don't respond well. And so I had to ask for forgiveness. But all of us, um, if, we're, if we're human, probably have experienced the, the need to be forgiven Or the need to give someone forgiveness. And that is no easy task. And that's where John uh, goes again today. Now I've been applying his his call to love. I've been applying it in particularly as a call to forgive. It doesn't mean that the other aspects of love aren't also being commanded. We talked about it last week as as John has been doing in the book of 1 John. He's been showing us uh, indications that you are authentic in your faith. And we've been calling these signposts or indications that if you see these things in your life, then it, it should give you greater assurance that you're on the right track, that, that, you, that you are authentic. And last week, the one that he was harping on was love, that you should love one another. And he talked about the fact that God, in his very nature, is love. And so, his, when we love, we, that only is possible by God, for love comes from God. And so, the fact that we love one another is an indicator that we have experienced ourselves the love of God. And as we notice that he says this is something that makes you uniquely Christian, we compared Christian love to worldly love to say that something must be different because it can't be the same way that the world loves. How does the world love? Well, the world loves those who love them, the world loves those who benefit them, the world loves those who are lovely. Well, Christ calls us to something different. Christ calls us to love not as the world loves. He says, what gain is there in loving someone who's loved you, but loving our enemies, loving those who are not lovely in our eyes. And in particular, he said that the display of God's love, the ultimate revelation of God's love is the cross, that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this is a perfect... Picture of the love that he's talking about, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us who did not deserve it. He didn't wait for us to clean our act up before he sacrificed. He sacrificed because he is love and he died on the cross as our substitute so that we could have the forgiveness of God, which only comes through faith in Christ. And so he called us to love one another in in the same way. And then today in our passage of chapter 5, 1 through 5, he again tells us this same idea that we must love as born-again believers. He says, if you have been born of God, he's going to tell us two things. That you are, first of all, obligated to love. And second of all, you are able to love the way Christ has loved you. And so... If you thought you got that by last week, good. We got through the forgiveness one. Let's just kind of let that call to forgive the unforgivable. Let's let that just fade into the busyness of the holidays. It ain't going to happen. John is bringing us back to it again. In fact, my prayer, I feel led by the Lord to, to harp on this, if you will, to say, let's keep thinking, when He says love, let's think about it in terms of forgiveness. Because there is no greater love than that. And that includes all the other less challenging love. So let's think about it this holidays, this Christmas. When you hear about love and joy that Christ brings. Let's let this be a call to forgive those in our lives that we have refused to forgive. In our passage, he's going to tell us that if we're children of God, we are obligated to love like that. But he's also going to say we're able to do so. So let me ask the Lord to do work in our hearts this morning. Lord, empower us this morning. Uh, Please let this be a time of, of transformation in our hearts. I pray that you'll take your sacred scriptures, the truths, that are God-inspired, the authoritative Word of God, and that the Spirit, your Spirit, He will drive it deep into our hearts, that He will crack open our hardened hearts, and He will get down deep, and He will soften us, humble us, bring us to repentance of our sin of unforgiveness, and let times of refreshing and renewal and life and joy, the joy of Christ, come to us this holidays. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, let's look at the obligation to love. I'm getting this in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1 and 2, he says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commands. In these first verses, John switches to a family metaphor to drive home the point that he was making last week of letting us love one another, the exhorting us to love one another. But first, notice what he says. He, he says that current, or let me get a little nerdy for a minute, a little technical on the verb tenses here. He says, whoever present tense believes... That Jesus is the Christ is perfect tense. That means a past action that has continuing effects. Whoever present tense believes is or has been born of God. And so what he says is that if you are doubting, if you are needing assurance that you are authentic, that you have been born again, you should look at your present posture, as J.D. Greer would say. In explaining this point in his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, I have to always feel like I need to explain that title. What he is saying is... Once you've asked Jesus into your heart and you've truly been saved, then you need to have assurance so that you don't live this life of continually asking him into your heart because you're afraid of not having salvation. How do you know if you're authentic? He says it is your current posture, one of resting in and trusting in Christ's finished work on the cross. How do I know if I trust that a chair will hold me up? I can sit here all day long and talk about the structural integrity of the chair, but the bottom line is, if I sit in the chair, if I'm currently resting my hope and my weight in the chair, then I can tell you without, without a doubt, I trust, I believe the chair will hold me. Similarly, he says that you who have doubts, you need to look. Are you currently today is your present posture one of trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross are you don't don't go look for some past experience and and think well i didn't have the emotion that that person had oh well maybe it was this or maybe that that past experience may or may not give you assurance what you really need to know is what john is saying here that current present Trust in Jesus as the Christ, and that means the whole gospel message that we talk in week in a while, that we were just singing, that I need you every hour, that you, Christ, are my righteousness, that I am currently not trusting in my works, I am currently not trusting in my religious efforts, I am not trusting in my uh, my family heritage, I am currently trusting only in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that his death, the infinitely holy one, satisfied the demands of God that were His wrath was due on me for my sin and Jesus satisfied it. So his righteousness is what I get credit for. And that's the only hope that we have. And if you're trusting in that and in that alone, if you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, then you are saved. That is present evidence of a past having been born again. Having been born of God. And now he says born of God. That's familial language. He's switching to a family metaphor. When you are born, biologically you're born to a mother and father. And if they have other children, you are born into a family with brothers and sisters. So John is saying this present confidence in the work of Christ on the cross for your righteousness indicates that you are in a new spiritual family. And as is natural, all children love their father. Now, in the world, we know that we struggle sometimes to love fathers if they weren't acting the way they should. But in God's design, children are born loving their father. And that's where he goes with this. In fact, he implies the love of the Father in verse 2. By this we know we love the children of God. And he's going to get down and, and later it says, the, speaking of the loving the Father. And so what John is doing is he's building this case using the family analogy, the family metaphor, that if you are born of God, then you love the Father. So let me just pause here for a minute and ask you, Is that how you think about Christianity? Many people think about Christianity in terms of of liturgy or religious uh, traditions. They think about it more as a set of doctrinal truths and an organizational group. And they think of church buildings and they think of attending And they think of doing, and they think of giving, and they think of all these things that accompany salvation. But what John is saying is that's really not the heart of it. The heart of it is experiencing the love of God relationally through the Son of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when someone loves God as father, loves him, trusts him, know that he has everything, has, has their good in store, it changes their life. And then the, the things that I mentioned come. We, we gather together as those who have been loved, first loved by God, and in response, we love God and where he's going to go today is... In, and also, very naturally, we love our brothers and sisters. And that's why we serve and, and serve our each other's children by teaching in the back, them teaching them the Word of God. That's why we make sacrifice of our time and energies to serve uh, during members' meetings or during Shine, or, or we serve taking care of facilities or setting up decorations or serving coffee or taking the trash out. That We're not earning any merit with God by doing those things, but having been given all the merit of Christ, Christ, we realize how much He loves us and it moves us to love Him and to serve Him. And so we do things that just aren't natural. I mean, that stuff just doesn't come naturally. But when we know the love of the Father, that's what happens. And so that's where John is going. Is First of all, he says, if you have faith in Christ, if you currently are trusting in Christ as Savior, then that means you are a child and as a child you love the Father. Do you know God that way? When you think about Christianity and you think about religion, do you go to the trappings of activity or do you go all the way to the heart and say, I know the love of the Father through Jesus Christ? And that's where he says, go there. If you've been born again, then you're a child of the Father. If you're a child of the Father, you love the Father. And then he takes the next logical step in the second part of verse 1. If you love the Father, then you love his other children. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. That's just the way things work according to God's designs. You love your brothers and sisters because they are your family. If you love the father, he's your father. Then anyone else born of the father is your brother and sister. And if you love them, if you love him, you're going to love them. And in verse 2, we have a very challenging verse, but I... We'll say up front what I think he's saying and then we can work through it. I think he's saying what I agree with the commentary Howard Marshall. He says that it is basically John saying the same thing that we ought to love this way. Here's what he says. This is what John says in verse 2. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. So that's a little backwards for the way John typically writes. John typically has said, if you love the children, then you know you love God, because that comes from God. Here he says the other, if you love God and obey God, then you know you love the children, the way it's written in in the New American Standard. But based on the context, and the commentaries are all over the place, but it doesn't rock your world, because it doesn't provide some radical new teaching, it's just a nuance, but I think... Howard Marshall has it right based on the context. And here's what he's saying basically is insert the word ought. By this principle that we, those who love the Father love one another, by this we know that we ought to love the children of God. And... ...when we love God and observe His commands. By this, we know that we ought to love the children of God... ...when we love God and observe His commands. In other words, what he's saying is... ...by the fact that you have recognized that you're born again... ...you ought to love the children of God... And this is the essence of what it means to love God and keep his commands. And you see that all over the scriptures. Love God, love one another. The whole thing is fulfilled in that; those two commands. Love God and love others. And so John is saying, if you claim to be a Christian... And you claim that, then you need to see, am I trusting only in Christ? Well, if you are, then yes, you are a Christian. And in particular, that means you are a child born of God. And all children love their father. And all children who love their father also love his other children. They love their brothers and sisters. So if you say you're a child of God, then you ought to love your brothers and sisters. So what does this mean for us? This means you have to forgive your brothers and sisters. What does this mean for us? This means you don't get to choose those who come to Thanksgiving. You have to ask them. You have to invite them to Thanksgiving. You have to sit at the table and be confronted with the unforgiveness in your own heart, and that's part of what makes holidays so hard. Is it the rest of the year? We, we, we're too busy. we don't want to deal with that. I keep things I'm preoccupied. I don't have to deal with all that, and then you come confronted with it every stinking year. What am I going to do about that family member that I'm not in a good place with? And that's what John is saying. In the Christian family, you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. You don't get to choose who comes to the banquet table of the Lord. That's what Paul speaks about the Lord's Supper table where we take communion. He says, when you come to the table, if you've got ought, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, don't come up here. Go deal with it. Because this is the very essence of what it means. This is the very reason he died. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, drinking the Lord's uh, blood and eating of his body metaphorically. Don't do that if you've got people in the church that you have hatred and unloving and unforgiveness towards. So just like we can't choose our biological family, just like we can't choose... Whether we, want, whether we should love them or not, he says, if you're a Christian, you don't get the choice in your spiritual family either. We're the children of the same loving Heavenly Father. And he has commanded us as children to love one another. And the very bullseye, the very essence of that, the furthest, deepest understanding of that love is Forgiveness. Especially when they don't deserve it. Because that's how God demonstrated his love for us. That he died for us while we were sinning against him. Now to some of us, that command seems impossible. And I know some of your stories. And I would agree. Humanly, it seems impossible to forgive them. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And I would say humanly it is impossible. But John goes on to tell us not only are we obligated to love, but we have the ability to love. Look at verses 3 through 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments... And His commandments are not burdensome. So this is the love of God, that you forgive one another. This is the very essence of what it means to keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. How in the world... Can loving the unlovable, forgiving the unforgivable, not be burdensome? That was the question for me in verse 3. When he says his commandments are not burdensome, he's not saying it's not hard. In fact, it's brutally hard. In fact, in one sense, it's impossible on your own. And so what he means, we can help understand as we go to what Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who have been called to forgive the unforgivable, who are burdened with the burden of unforgiveness whoever experiencing the condemnation and death that comes when we harbor anger and resentment and bitterness, when we are burdened with that heavy laden, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So Jesus is saying that those who are burdened with the heavy laden responsibility and call and command to forgive that person who absolutely does not deserve it. That they, they have sinned against you. They, it's not your imagination. They clearly have sinned against you and they do not deserve to be forgiven. They have not repented. They have not asked for forgiveness. They have not changed. They have not done. All they've done is just lived in their spiteful relationship and you don't have any human reason to forgive them. Those who are burdened with the command to forgive that kind of person, Jesus says, Come to me and I'll give you rest from that. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is the wooden instrument that harnessed the neck of two oxen. And the oxen were were beasts of burden and they were to pull with great force and power to plow the, the difficult toil of rocky soil. And as long as they were working in unison, there was great power. But if they were not in agreement on the direction, they would work against each other and it would rip their necks apart. Jesus is saying, if you want to be set free from that burden, if you want my command to forgive the undeserving person, you must come to me and agree with me. You must be united with me and be committed to this call. I want you to enable me and to empower me to forgive them. And there will be great Power to be able to forgive. But it requires a heart that commits, I want your will, Lord. It requires us to stop enjoying the power of a grudge. requires us to stop finding pleasure in withholding our love from that person. It requires us to stop finding some sense of joy in making them pay. All that does is destroy you. Last week when we were talking about unforgiveness, we had a guest joining with us who leads a Celebrate Recovery. And he came to me afterwards and he said, just about every person I work with, they work with how to overcome addictions. He said, just about every person I work with, this is the answer. This is the problem. They have serious unforgiveness in their heart. Unforgiveness destroys If you're not working in unison with the father as you're in the yoke with him, it will destroy you. So we are obligated to forgive and we have the ability to forgive as we commit to doing the will of the father. In verses 4 and 5, we see how this is true. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith, or our gospel, our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he explains, verse 5, Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So there's a three-peat of overcome in these verses. And this is the heart of john 's point here. John is saying that when we are born again as children of God, we become overcomers. We become more than conquerors and Paul says the same thing in romans eight thirty seven but in all these Things We overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. We love to quote these scriptures of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is he talking about when he speaks of overcoming and doing anything through Christ? He's not talking about these crazy ideas. I can do anything if God just believe he's saying I can do the will of God by Christ's enablement. In other words, I can forgive the unforgivable because of Christ and his overwhelming power working in and through me. Having been born again by the gospel love of Jesus Christ, we overcome the world. We have conquered the world. And when John speaks of the world, he has previously defined this in our terms as worldliness. More particularly, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And I would submit to you, those are the very obstacles to forgiveness. The lust of the flesh says, I want revenge. I deserve to get even." The pride of life says, my name is at stake, my good is at stake, I have rights and I will not forgive. And he says, if you are in Christ, you have overcome those worldly desires. It is impossible to love and forgive when we are controlled by fleshly desires to get even, It is impossible to love and forgive when our pride demands we get revenge. Those who have been born again have been given the spirit of God. And we are in union with Christ. The old worldly desires have had a A severance. We have severed immediately from those where they don't have control of us. But then we must learn to walk in the newness of life. The new heart of Christ, the new mind of Christ enables us to glory in the truths of the gospel It enables us to understand that we have been loved and Christ died for us even while we were rebelling against him. This is not natural. This is a supernatural enabling of the heart by the spirit of God to cherish that gospel message that we sing about this morning. But it happens as we dwell at the foot of the cross as we preach that gospel message to ourselves that I did not deserve it and He gave it to me. He gradually sets us free from enslavement to the flesh, from enslavement to the pride that demands retribution and ultimately leads to anger, resentment, bitterness, bitterness and death. This is possible by the work of God in our hearts. how does this work? What do we do if we lack the motivation? What if you're sitting there today saying, I I hear you, but I just, I just don't care. I don't want to do it. In his book, entitled, The Hole in Our Holiness, Kevin DeYoung says this about finding motivation to obey. And I'm going to insert Forgiveness in a couple of places to make the point. He says God can prescribe many different medicines for motivation. If you're fighting pride or unforgiveness, God might assure you that He gives grace to the humble or remind you that you follow a crucified Messiah. He can highlight your adoption, your justification, reconciliation, or your union with Christ. God can stir you up to love and good deeds with warnings and promises, with love and fear, with positive or negative examples. He can remind you of who you are, or who you were, or who you are becoming. God can appeal to your good, the good of others, or his own glory. You could probably find a hundred biblical reasons to be holy or to forgive. And the sooner we explore and apply these reasons, the more equipped we'll be to fight sin and unforgiveness, the more eager to make every effort to be more like Christ, and the more ready to say with the Apostle John, his commandments are not burdensome. Notice what he says. He says, it's a process of exploring and you don't have any idea how God is going to do it. I always struggle. I want to give a logical, almost mathematical explanation of how this works. But it doesn't happen naturally. It happens supernaturally. As you go to the foot of the cross and you bathe and meditate... In the gospel message, I asked our community group leaders, our community group this week, how do you do that? And Charlie said, I do it by quoting Isaiah 53 and putting my name in there. That the, He bore my sins. And so as we go and we go to the word of God and we preach the gospel to ourselves as we claim this undeserved love of God through the, the death of Christ... We go to the word of God and we read, as I've said over and over, we read copious amounts of scripture. We don't just read one or two verses that mention the word forgiveness. We read and read and read, read the gospel of John, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read the Bible. And as you're reading, you're saying over and over, Lord, do a work in my heart. You're praying, God, humble me. God, I confess I have unforgiveness. God, I do not want to obey you. And you're praying and you're talking, but you're talking to a heavenly father who loves you, who wants to bring about this change in your life. Why? Because he knows it will set you free. If you are harboring unforgiveness, all sorts of sin comes from that. And that's not his will for his children. And so you go to the Lord and you meditate on the gospel and you read the word of God and you pray, God, change my heart and you will be shocked. And it will probably not be the way you expected. The Holy Spirit will enable you to start forgiving to start wanting it, to start working on that, and you will see the command to forgive become less and less impossible and less of a burden so that you will be able to say with John, his commands are not burdensome. This is how Christ enables you to love and forgive that unforgivable person. You must be born again first through faith in Jesus Christ. And then you must wage war against the sin of unforgiveness, as I just described. If you're born again, you're obligated and you're able to forgive those who seem unforgivable. Let's pray. Father God, I pray this... Christmas season will be a season of rebirth in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, in our relationships. Lord, we we choose with our will to believe your word, that says that we are obligated to forgive and we are able to. And Lord, I pray that even now you'll prepare our hearts to do battle. That we may forgive and experience the, the freedom and the joy and the life and the love that comes with obedience so that we can say your commands are wonderful. Lord, those who are here today who have not experienced, first of all, the rebirth, who have not ever trusted that they need forgiveness, and that forgiveness with you only comes through Jesus, may you give them faith right now to cry out to you in their hearts, Lord, forgive me by the blood of Jesus. And having experienced the undeserved love and forgiveness of Jesus, may we experience the freedom to love and forgive the undeserving in our lives. So that you get great glory for what you're doing in us. And so that we can enjoy walking in the blessings of life. It's in Christ's name we pray.